Welcome to the Blackout Show. I am your host, Calvin Martyr. This is my beautiful host, Tiffany Kirk. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I'm charged up. I'm charged up. How are you? I am charged up as well. You know, just this topic about private prisons, the prison industry, the parallels between slavery and the prisons and prisons and the plantation. Last week, we discovered that Terrell Don Hutto, the founder of this private prison model, he's still alive and kicking. And he was a warden of a plantation. So as we're really becoming more consciously aware of this reality that slavery still exists and it really affects us every single day in things that we purchase, things we're invested in, you know, and it's affecting our communities, right? When we talk about systemic oppression, systemic racism, systemic wealth gaps, equity gaps, slavery, and its evolution into the prison industry is something that we must take a look at. And so what better thing than to actually look at who's funding this, like who's funding the private prisons and also looking at how the model of private prisons and, and how it was incorporated to be monetized and profited off of, right? Free labor, discounted contracted labor of individuals whose rights have been stripped from them and who have been forgotten throughout society. No one really thinks about this vast group of this, this massive labor force that is not being paid respectably whatsoever, right? But individuals who have made mistakes and now they have to pay the penance. And I'm saying that, 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 that all of them are undeserving of this, but we're talking about since 1971, the disparity in arrests for people who are just simply trying to cope with the trauma of living black in America, it is ridiculous. Incarceration rates are up 7,000%. <laughs> I mean, come on. So we're going to take a look at this stuff and we're really going to break down, you know, where is the money? Who's funding it? What's going down? We're going to get into it. So here we are. Private prison funders, how to impact the funding. You know, Tiff, what, what, what is this? As we were doing the research this week, man, what, what were some of the things that kind of were coming out to you, things that jumped out to you as we get into this discussion today? Well, I, I think it's it's just, you know, this is an industry like any other industry. And the business model is like any other. You know, you've got to have uh, people behind the bars, just like, you know, Hilton or uh, Airbnb. You've got to have beds and people in those beds every single night in order for you to make a profit. And so, you know, it's it's a model that's looked at by the government. It's a model that's looked at uh, by the banks when they're making their decisions on whether or not they want to finance these these private prisons. And, you know, you said something really important earlier, which is, you know, we, we've got to really think about the impact that this industry is having on our communities and the fact that there's still three major sources of funding for these private prisons that we really all have a little bit of control over. I think the obligation is on us to make these changes. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to completely evaporate the financing to build and run these institutions. You know, it's, it's, 
it's it's not going to lead to um, you know the solution, the end all be all solution to the mass incarceration issue that we have, but it's it's a part of this major reform that needs to happen. It's a part of this third reconstruction that we're in in trying to get to that advancement of racial equity. And so, um, you know, I do want to talk about the impact um, of funding and who's impacting the funding for private prisons. So, uh, without the money, they they can't exist. Now, you you just said something uh, that 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 advancing of social equity. And I want to, I want to kind of, I want to touch back on that. And let me, let me, let me pull it up here. There, there seems to be an agenda of forgetfulness when it comes, as it pertains to the plight of the Negro in America. <laughs> and make right. sure I, conveniently. Yeah. Yes, we uh, forget. Conveniently, there, there seems to be uh, an, an amnesia. Mm-hmm as it pertains to the things that black people in America have suffered and there being adequate legislation, et cetera, that's being passed to help stem these issues, right? right. Issues that are known. It's, it, this is not like, we're going to, you know, I'm going to do, I probably, I'm going to do a mastermind university this week and really dig into the universal declaration of human rights, 1954. I'm going to get into this declaration, uh, this international decade of African uh, peoples of African descent. I'm going to get into the program of activities for this international decade for peoples of African descent. We're going to dig into the resolution from the Durba conference. And, you know, really, there is no other people group that has a stronger case with the multiplicity of evidence of having crimes against humanity done to them. But yet there can, there's no commitment definitive. They didn't even commit to the civil rights act bill. They're still, they're still ratifying that every two years, but yet here we are. I just want y'all to see this. Uh, I want y'all to see this 2009, right? And I'm, I'm gonna make it full screen. Yeah. Just 2009. And maybe I, I even, what I do, I got a plus, plus, plus to zoom in on them. I don't want to zoom in. I don't zoom. Can you read that? Is it big We can enough? see the headline. Obama signs hate crimes bill into law, right? I think I can, I think it is, yeah. Obama signs hate crimes bill into law. President Obama, this is 2009. President Obama wins. They signed a law that makes it a federal crime to assault an individual because of his or her sexual orientation or gender identity. The expanded federal hate crimes bill held by supporters as the first major federal gay rights legislation was added to a $680 billion defense authorization bill that Obama signed at a packed White House ceremony. Look at his face too. Like, and it's funny that he recently came out saying that he was uh basically what was the word he used? <laughs> he said something about basically he, he he couldn't speak, you know, on certain things while he was in. I forgot the mm. the, the, the headline. Mm. But this is Obama in 2009. Okay, cool. Then here comes, oh snap, Trump in 2018. WJRO applauds President Trump's signing of Just Act for Holocaust Restitution. What? 
We still talking about the Holocaust. This is what this is what I'm 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 saying the same things that they tell black people. We still talk about slavery. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. there's never been any restitution. There's never. never been any justice. There's never been any equalizing of the balances. There's where's the equity that was robbed? Where's the portion of equity that is due for all of the equity that's been amassed? This is just what is right. This is justice. This is what America cannot avoid. This is the ugly truth. There is a primordial force at work that writes the scales, that balances the scales of justice throughout the eons of time. Point blank, period. So here we have Trump. He, he, these, these, this didn't even happen in America, but we're making sure that we got Holocaust restitution. The world... Jewish Restitution Organization, and, and here we are, examples of these lobbying entities that 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 move mountains, right? right? Look this up. Look up the WJRO, World Jewish Restitution Organization. Welcomes President Trump signing the Justice for Uncompensated Survivors Today Act into law. Wow. Justice for uncompensated survivors today. Are we not do we not deserve justice? Are we not uncompensated survivors today? Because I guarantee you it's not a lot of people in 2021 or even 2018 when this came out. Because they, they came out with a whole report on this Just Act last year, 2020. Mm -hmm. Go read that for yourself. But are black people not... Are black people not individuals who deserve justice? Are we not uncompensated survivors? Because when right. it says uncompensated survivors, it, I guarantee it's talking about the. It's not just direct people who were actually locked in. No, this talking about their descendants and their families. And they're literally when you get into this Just Act, they they're making sure not only are the different countries that had anything to be to do with it or to be paying money monetarily, but also to be making sure that property, land, all this is being given back. Why right. can't we get this? Then here we have Biden, twenty twenty one. Here's what the new hate crimes law aims to do as a tax on Asian Americans. Wow. Wow. A hate crimes bill for Asian Americans, which they voted 94 to 1, mind you. So when we're talking yeah. about this thing about social equity, we're talking about the hypocrisy of this said equity being withheld from black Americans. Right. And I was just, I just literally had a conversation last night. I got a text like 11.58. It was one of those, you know, questions where, you know, I'm always available to people for certain people. Um, but these individuals, they're not black like me. They're white. But, and they're, and they're friends of mine. There's, you know, they're, they, they're wrestling with the fact that they personally did not have anything to do with slavery. Maybe their family or whoever. But they feel like, why should they have to bear the penalty of whatever, like, you know, and this was specifically like the topic of uh, Black Lives Matter and reparations. And it, the questions were, why? Why why does it have to be a topic? Why is it not sex trafficking and this and this? Those questions and those conversations are being had. But this yeah, is the are. one conversation that no one's comfortable with having. Right. And common sense would tell you if your ancestors, your grandfather or anyone else benefited from slave labor or indentured servitude in any come way, on. then on. 
there's an onus that is on you to give back some of those proceeds. I mean, and, and I, I just feel, I mean, you know, it's, there are some people that didn't have a direct descendant that may have been responsible, but, you know, as a culture, it's just unfortunately that, uh, you know, affluent white Americans have been the oppressors of almost every minority group in America throughout American history. I mean, it's just, it's just the evidence and, you know, our tax, our taxpayer dollars go to things that, you know, are setting our communities back. We don't like it, but this would be a chance for us to take a stand and say, we believe what happened. We believe that there were some things that have been wrong. There was something that just happened recently. Um, the largest civil rights settlement in U.S. history, $1.25 billion went wow. to black farmers because wow. the USDA denied the black farmers loans and subsidies that they were given to other white farmers. So look that up. That's an example no, oh, you know what? I, no, I, done I, right. That was, yeah, that was that 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 was a, uh, and they called that a, a form of reparations. Right. So there's things that are happening, but not at the rate that they should be. I mean, if if, if you if you look at still, you know, black home ownership, and and the, and the rates of denials for black mortgage applications versus white, and that there's nothing being done when when a bank says no, you're not approved. Where's the follow through? How are we helping? black people to build their wealth in America. You know, that's not someone looking to just get a handout. That's someone literally going through the process, applying for this mortgage, doing all the things that they need to do. And unfortunately, I just talked to a nonprofit owner for a housing agency out of Detroit. And she said, we did a test and we sent these people to the bank and they had good credit. Everything was in order. And we tested it with two white people and one, I mean, sorry, two black people and one white person at similar situations. Both of the black people were denied and the white person was approved. This is still happening. Pe black people's homes being appraised at lower values and them using white friends to stand in when their home is being appraised because the appraisal will be much higher. It's these wow. kinds of things that continue to happen and why reparations need to happen faster and sooner rather than later. The damage continues. It's not like it stopped and we've caught up it continues to be pervasive in our community. Ooh, you a wizard with the word. <laughs> I'm trying. It, it, it's just it is pervasive. Pervasive. Right, I think that's, that's, that's just fitting. So we're going to take a quick music break. And when we come back, we're going to get into, you know, who are really the primary funding sources for these prisons and, and we're going to figure out, you know, be, at the end of this, we're going to give you also another call to action. Every week is going to be a call to action. So nobody can have an excuse when it comes to this conversation. We will Absolutely. be right back. Not that lost repaired me. Oh, to behold the unity of a pair three. 
never scared Young David to a bear, a lion And if I'm lying, tell the lie to cut my hair My bias is to be pious, but they say that isn't fair And I was death in my breath and vanity in the air Man, I'm suffocating, no longer advocating Cause my silence is a non-violent cosign with Satan And I'm tired of faking, yeah, I'm tired of waiting Got talk full of love, I'm aiming at all that hatred No, they don't wanna play this, you don't know what my aim is Light a torch, I'm giving you freedom to all the brainless They will never contain this, cause I won't fear Nobody who killed the body, my father commands the angels I was in a little lounge. I was you just listening to my little Hennessy and Coke. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what uh, I'm saying? That's what's uh, up. That's I just, all I need is a top shelf Long Island. I'm gonna sit back <laughs> too, you know. Yeah, now um anybody that's you know wanna uh like likes live music, you know, uh go check out the new album, Calvin Martyr Unplugged. You can get it on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere digitally. So yeah, please support. But yeah, that was uh that was one of the songs off of the album. It's called Journey. So it's a collection of songs. A couple of the songs I've released in the past, but these are the is you know unplugged versions, and then um, quite a few of the songs. You know, it's only seven songs, but you know, so I think maybe a couple of the songs that people have heard before, but everything else is pretty new. But anyway, yeah, y'all support. So we're gonna get into it though. The primary funding sources for private prisons, as y'all can see here, you got government, you got private investors, you got banks. You know, but uh, we're going to get into it. So talk to us, Tiff. What what you got for us? Yeah. So, I mean, if you if you look at all of those those three sources, those are three sources. Actually, all of us probably are contributing to. So mm. the government, you know, tax dollars, our federal tax dollars and then state state tax dollars could also be going to prison. And then we talked last week about a lot. A lot of us unknowingly are investing in some of those those stocks. Um, we, we brought up a couple last week. Vanguard was one of them. Fidelity was one of them. There are a couple others, but, um, the charge and the call to action last week was to go ahead and look at your 401ks or your mutual funds and see if you're investing in some of those funds that are actually some of the biggest, um, investment pools for, uh, geo, geo group, as well as core civic. So we know that there's private investors, but then the third one is banks. And because recently the government has pulled out, we'll talk about it in just a second, but has pledged to not continue uh, with these contracts and dollars for private prisons. These banks are really all that's left along with the investors. But we'll even talk about how some of the investors are pulling out and they're understanding that this is just not a lucrative industry to be in anymore. So definitely want to you know talk about what this looks like. Why is it, you know? something that's that's a uh, i guess attractive to banks and for a long time the banks were really interested because they were backed by government dollars you know they knew that the private prison industry was being funded you know in large part by the federal government so they felt like if we need to provide some extra you know debt financing that we're good because we we've got this this government money that's kind of backing it and here's I just wanted people to uh to see what you were talking about in real time. Um, as you said, this government executive order on reforming our incarceration system to eliminate the use of privately operated criminal detention facilities. And this was signed this was this year. Right. This was just this year. This was just 2021. So uh you know we can we can thank god for the small victories i guess as you say um by the authority investing me as president by the constitution and laws of the united states and hereby orders as follows more than two million people are currently incarcerated in the united states including a disproportionate number of people of color broad consensus our current system of mass incarceration imposes significant costs and hardships on our society and communities and does not make us safer to decrease incarceration levels, we must reduce profit-based incentives to incarcerate by phasing out the federal government's reliance on privately operated 
criminal detention centers. Uh, we must ensure that our nation's incarceration and correctional systems are prioritizing rehabilitation and redemption. Incarcerated individuals should be given a fair chance to fully integrate into their communities, including by participating in program uh, in programming tailored to earning a good living, securing affordable housing, and participating in our... Now, okay, you know what is crazy? You know what's so crazy? What's that? You, this this bothers me, and I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to take us on a tangent, but the reason why this bothers me is because it's convenient now for him to sign an order that says that. Right? It's real convenient now. You right. know, especially after you did this Asian American crimes bill, and but it's 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 convenient now that all of a sudden this reformation of prisons and things is what you're saying now. Like your entire political, let me pull it, let me pull it up. Let me pull it up. Let, let me pull, pull it up. up. Can I pull it up? Go ahead. Can I pull it up? Your yeah, entire, yeah, yeah. Your entire political career, you have not stated whatsoever. Like this, this, this has not been something you cared about at all. Your entire career. And, and we're just going to just in your own words. I mean, uh, Hold on, let me let me let me make sure because I gotta I gotta make sure we um we share the audio. Yeah, I gotta share the audio. I gotta share the audio. So I gotta share it a little different. So we gotta share this tab. So let's just uh let's just say Joe Biden for president, right? On our channel. Let's look at this right here. Joe Biden for president. Senator made a very moving and eloquent speech as a son of the Confederacy. Now, I I want to get to this this part because 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 what what oh, we're what what we're <laughs> this this is us connecting the dots right um, and and people try to dismiss this right we this is what's I, I have people actually, and I want people to see my face as I'm talking about this. I have people, I've shown this clip to people. I've shown this to other people. I want people to look at the timeline. This is 1993. I was four years old, okay? 28 years ago. That is not a long time. Now, I'm not saying that people cannot change within 28 years. What I'm saying is if Joe Biden has changed, right? He has made a political career. He's been attached to every single... I let him tell you himself. Every single crime bill there is, mm -hmm. major or minor, he made a, a career. He pursued it. He made sure he was a part of it. The Democratic governor, senator from Delaware, he made sure. He was vice president for eight years. He's now the president. He has never, he can tell you he's for black people all he wants, but never with the power invested in him as a senator, as a vice president, and now as a president, all of a sudden he's, 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 he's placating us and saying that he does care. But he's never with his political prowess and power and position ever tried to use it for the equity of black people. To lock people up? Yes. 
He made sure he was a part of the 1984 Citizen uh, Reformation Act. We talked about that last week, 1984 Citizen Reformation Act. He made sure he's part of the crime bill, right? The night, the, the famous crime bill that we're going to... But I just want people to remember, it's cool for them to tell us these executive orders and the prisons need to be reformed because it's it's convenient now. This is the conversation now. So let's yeah. give them this. But what's, what's crazy is they can talk about this small thing because of the small percentage the private prisons play in the grand scheme because look, they'll let go of the private prisons if the majority of the prisons that are publicly held by the governments still use the same model. See, people are only in an uproar because the prisons are profiting to private individuals, right? But they don't care. See, people don't realize, well, why aren't you in an uproar about the United States and the Federal Reserve and all of this stuff? It's the same model. So now they're going to give us this smoke and mirrors of doing away with the private prison structure, yet the governments themselves, both at the state and federal, are still profiting from the same model. Yeah. It's the same so when we talk about model. it's the same model, and I just want y'all mm -hmm. to realize they don't care. Politics is about money. Politics is about corporations. Politics is about lobbying. So don't don't be confused. This is what I mean by don't be confused. Crime bill when it passes, the Biden Hatch crime bill, as it becomes law, God willing, I hope that we will have ended once and for all this notion that is a hangover from the 60s, that somehow Democrats are weak on crime and Democratic presidents are weak on crime and Republicans are tough on crime. The truth is, Every major crime bill since 1976 that's come out of this Congress, every minor crime bill has had the name of the Democratic senator from the state of Delaware, Joe Biden, on that bill and has had a majority vote of the Democratic members of the United States Senate on the bill. So one of the things I want to do in addition to end the crime is end the political carnage that goes on when we talk about crime. Crime is not Democrat or Republican. Making the streets safe is not a Democratic or Republican issue. This is one of those issues I hope this passage of this bill will do, will be taken out of the gridlock category and moved into an emerging consensus. And the consensus is as follows, and I will cease when I finish this statement. The consensus is A, we must take back the streets. It doesn't matter whether or not the person that is accosting your son or daughter or my son or daughter, my wife, your husband, my mother, your parents, it doesn't matter whether or not they were deprived as a youth. It doesn't matter or not whether or not they had no background that enabled them to have, to uh, become a, a social, uh, become socialize into the fabric of society. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my sons. So I don't want to ask what made them do this. They must be taken off the street. That's number one. There's a consensus on that. The Democratic chairman of the Judiciary Committee, the Democratic president of the United States of America, 
the Democratic Attorney General, the Republican leader, the Republican leader of this effort, Senator Hatch, the Republican Senator from Texas, we all agree on that. Now we can find some fringe folks in the study groups on the right wing and left wing, libertarians and, and, uh, and, and left wingers in my party who say, no, nah, that's not what we should do. But politically, that consensus has been arrived at. I acknowledge there was not that consensus in the 60s. There is today. There's a second thing that we all have agreed upon. And that is, unless we do something about that cadre of young people, tens of thousands of them, born out of wedlock, without parents, without supervision, without any structure, without any conscience developing, because they literally, I yield myself three more minutes, because they literally have not been socialized, they literally have not had an opportunity. We should focus on them now, not out of a liberal instinct for love, brother, and humanity, although I think that's a good instinct, but for simple, pragmatic reasons. If we don't, they will or a portion of them will become the predators 15 years from now. And Madam President, we have predators on our streets that society has, in fact, in part because of its neglect, created. Again, it does not mean because we created them that we somehow forgive them or do not take them out of society to protect my family and yours from them. They are beyond the pale, many of those people. Beyond the pale. And it's a sad commentary on society. We have no choice but to take them out of society. And the truth is, we don't very well know how to rehabilitate them at that point. That's the sad truth. Okay, right there, right there, right there. So go. let's go back. Let's go, let's go back to this executive order. I just want, because I don't like to just show the sound bites. I leave the people to see... The, the the I don't care. It's all about this. Hey, lock them up. Hey, throw, hey, they, they, I don't yeah, care. They, they, these this cadre super predators and all this. And then the admittance, we don't even know how to rehabilitate them. Yeah. And he goes on to say, you know, I don't want to continue. He goes on to say, this is why the fact that they have no means of rehabilitating whatsoever especially not in the federal, definitely not in the state. That is why, that was the condition on, on why they made federal time 85%. It was it was called Biden's same time for the same crime bill. This is why you serve 85%. Because when, when rehabilitation occurs, they cannot explain it. They don't know how to rehabilitate when you do rehabilitate. So they can't make that. A condition of your release because they don't know how to rehabilitate you and they cannot explain the phenomena of rehabilitation right but they want me to believe and as we go back over here they want they want to they, that this again just using clever words to pacify us while we don't really get this is what this is something that dr king talked about the eradication of slums costs billions all they've ever done is just put on paper things that sound so good, but there is no execution that follows it. Hmm. 
there was never any real enforcement of anything that is laid out in the Civil Rights Act. There was never any enforcement of freedom from slavery. Why? Because it, right behind it, the, the emancipation comes black codes. And now here comes the United States government having to outlaw black codes in 1865. Then after that mm -hmm. comes Jim Crow. And then we have the exploitation of the 13th and the exploitation of the 14th amendments. Not to mention the countless times of, of us actually participating by as law-abiding citizens, exercising our right to vote, having having a, a, a political majority in certain communities and still. So you mean to tell me all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we're going to ensure that our nation's incarceration and correctional systems are prioritized in rehabilitation and redemption. Give me a break. Right. Like we're going to just magically get it right now. Figure out the magic potion now. And here's the thing is they're not telling you they are. They just say we must. Mm -hmm. And this, see, I don't see, I don't want to get off track. Again, I'm going to show this hypocrisy even more when we get into the Universal Human Bill of Rights, which I've looked over before, but we really start digging into these programs. I'm just telling y'all, there is no, there is no trusting of the government and believing that we can vote and participate and it's going to go the way we think. It is not. And we have to finally learn that lesson and figure out, okay, what are the tools and means within our hands, within our power that we can control, that we can use to fight back? Yeah, we have what to remember, those? we got to rely on us no matter what. You know, we've been made promises in the past so many times and, you know, 40 acres and a mule, you know, those types of things. And it it, it just doesn't typically happen. It, it looks good in, in paper, but like you said, there's never something that, that shows that it's going to be enforced. If this is not followed, then this happens. So how do you hold someone accountable? How do you hold a company accountable? How do you hold the government accountable? It's, it's nearly impossible if you're not putting some type of a consequence, a penalty in that statement that you're making. So we gotta, we gotta be the solution. You know what I'm saying? So, and I, and look, yeah. I, I jumped into it. You know, what I'm saying? we there. I, I went all over that. You know, what I'm saying? yeah. But, but it, it bothers me because there's never been any retraction. See, people try to say, well, people, you know, and it's our people that argue this. This is this is not white people that argue this. This is literally black people that are arguing this for Joe Biden that hey, people can change. Well, where is the retraction? See, at least. Clinton finally came out and acknowledged, yo, hey, the hate crimes bill, we were wrong on that, you know. There's never been that with Biden. He's yeah. never had admitted an inkling of him feeling like anything he's done with his political campaign, uh, his career, with his political career and locking us up in drawers. He, 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 there's interviews you can pull up where, where reporters ask him this and he is adamant in, being, in, in reinforcing that he feels like they were right. He yeah. said in an interview I watched, he said that Bill Clinton was wrong about the fact that they were wrong. Mm. He like, he's like, Bill's wrong. We were this, we were that. And he brings up the fact that black people actually wanted he brings up the fact that black people wanted this incarceration rates. <laughs> He brings up the fact that that you know all these other reasons why it was right. 
because of all these different factors, but not the carnage that happened after the legislation. Yeah, you know I mean, um, and and that is why a lot of people found it difficult to get behind the Biden Harris ticket. You know, for people who knew this history for both of them, you know, it is it's 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 not something that this country should be proud of. They should be proud of. They did. They did put away a lot of individuals that probably should not have been put away, especially for the amount of time that that they were incarcerated, you know, and my hope is that they're here to redeem themselves. My hope is that they understand what was done then was wrong, you know, and that's all I that's all I can can hope for, you know, because otherwise, you know, what do these next few years look like for us? So I'm, I'm going to just stay optimistic and I, and I hope that what they say um, comes to fruition, what they put in writing, um, that there are people that are held accountable for those things that they put in writing. Um, and to get back to what happened, you know, in 2021, you already talked about it. We already kind of touched on it, but um, it's something that was kind of reinstated that came really from the Obama administration. So during that administration, um, basically, he exited the, the Federal Bureau of Prisons and, and wanted to phase out the use of, of uh, private prisons. And what happened when Trump got back into office, it was reinstated. And then in 2021, again, under Biden, um, one of his first acts of his inauguration was to sign a set of executive orders that was aimed at supposedly advancing racial equity. And uh, this doesn't apply to privately run migrant detention facilities, um, but this is for the other private some of the other private prisons, but the Department of Justice was not to renew any contracts with private prisons. So what really happened from this point is that there was fear, you know, when when investors heard about this, that were investing in private prisons, there was a huge fear. If you go to the next slide, we're going to look at kind of what happened um, when that fear became kind of real for people. So the stocks of both of these GeoCore and Core Civics um, companies, they started to lose value pretty quickly. So at the close of trading that first week of 2021, the shares of Geo Group, which is the larger of the, the two, um, with nearly $2.5 billion in 2019 revenues had lost half their value. Um, the Tennessee-based Core Civic, which recorded just under $2 billion in 2019, had seen its stock price fall even further 65 percent in 2019 so this is like this was something that they just weren't expecting so when this happens everybody gets scared um and then you have to believe that now that they know the federal government is exiting the prison industry the private prison industry the banks are now going to be a little cautious in their lending activities because what they hung their hat on in the past was that the government was going to be funding GeoCore, giving them the big con contracts and core civic. So that collateral, I guess, uh, security, I guess you could say was not going to be there. And so that leads us to a whole separate issue. Um, but this just goes to show that, you know, people pay attention to what happens in government, it causes them to act a certain way, and and this is this was the consequence of that first uh, one of the first things that that Biden did when he got into office um, is a consequence of that. So um, that's where it begins. And if you move forward to the to the next slide, Kelvin, um, it is a it it was, and I'm going to say it was an attractive industry to the banks because 
the revenue again that was used to repay those loans came from government contracts. So there was little risk that the companies would default on those loans, on those lines of credit. And there's really three main types of credit that the banks are extending to these private prison groups. There's lines of credit, um, and then there's term loans that they get, and there's bonds. And the bank buys, they buy the bonds and they resell them on the secondary market. But those are the three main types of financing. Um, so with, without, without the government money, stock values are plummeting, and now they're left to banks there's there's going to be an issue and it's 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 coming up real soon that we're going to see that you know this this industry may just evaporate um and i want to also say that the ceo of core civic said that if biden got into office he was going to exit the industry altogether and i think that was because he understood the ramifications of what could happen if biden were elected based on the promises and the pledge that Biden made that he would no longer be or his administration would not support um, giving this money to the private prison industry. Um, now he has not exited the industry, but um, it's, it's coming. Right, to that. Right, I think right. It's coming yeah. to that. <laughs> it is coming, but, but I just, with the way they move, I just don't see them. Like there, there's so much we have to expose. Like, they're paying millions of dollars to plantations, former plantations. There are over 44,000 what they call historic museums, historic places that receive millions of dollars every year for upkeep. And the family, I visited one, the mm -hmm. Walden Plantation in Savannah, Georgia. Mm -hmm. Like, so I, I feel like, I feel like when it comes to this ugliness, they always find a way to pencil with and, and and find a different way to profit profit off of this, right? You know, just if you, when you look at the model of this, if you just really remove all of these convictions since 1971 on on drugs, there is no war on drugs. There is no right. there is there is no private private prison industry as we know it today. You, you, you know, we would have less than 500,000 people in prisons instead of almost 3 million. It doesn't make sense. Land of the free, home of the brave. Yet more people get locked up here than anywhere else. Right. And it's not a war on drugs. It's a war on poor folks and primarily poor black people. I mean, obviously, that's the number one target you know, to fill these beds. And, you know, as they have said, studies have shown you can tell when, a, you know, at third grade, if a student can't read at third grade level, how many beds to prepare, you know? And so this cycle is going to continue removing the men from the communities. They wait, cannot wait, wait, protect this. So what's this? You just, this, this is alarming. JP Morgan and Chase and Wells Fargo were the largest financiers of private prisons until activist organizations in the families belong together coalition got involved. This is due to private prisons being the primary holder of ICE detainees, 80% of the detained population. Yeah. So, wow. Wow. so this is the private prison industry is the holder of most of the ICE detainees, but that's kind of what it took to get the attention of these banks is saying that we are breaking up families. And I'm not saying how this is, they, this is, this is a, how did this they is, get the attention? How did is, they though? 
So they protested. They had picket signs in front of the banks. They wrote the banks letters and they were relentless. So they were just very strategic. There was a large group of them. Families belong together was the main one. I mean, there are a lot of other ones. Real Money Moves was one. Uh, Make the Road, New York, uh, Lil Sis, um, Moms Rising. So there were quite a few of these these community active activist groups that just felt that you know these people that are migrating from Mexico are being separated. They're being detained at these facilities, and you are the banks that are making this possible. So that is what got J.P. Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo, who were the two again largest financiers of the industry, it got their attention. So they left the industry. Um, the other banks that ended up following suit were Bank of America, SunTrust, BNP, Fifth Third Bank, PNC, and then recently Regions Bank. And so um, they basically said, you know, we're going to follow suit. And the the first, if not the only one that got that was um, really swayed by Black Lives Matter was Regions Bank. Um, and that was the first time it was after George Floyd that you know, an individual who represented Black Lives Matter approached the bank and said, you know, this is not helping our community. And these are the ways that private prisons are destroying our community. And we want to ask that you leave the industry. Now, there was some inside pressure as well. And this is where there's power in numbers. There's power in your voice because it does take external pressure and it takes internal pressure. And so they did decide to leave the industry. And this is in the midst of the governor saying that he wants to build and allow CoreCivic to come in and build three new facilities. And Regent said, we're not going to be the financier. Barclays entered the arena, Barclays Bank, and they said that they would pick it up. They started getting pressure. They are not going to finance it. They were they had a deadline, I believe, of June 1st to make a decision. And I believe they decided that they weren't going to do it before that point. And so they're not in. So now they're stuck and they, they claim that these new these three new prisons were going to be created to close some of the old prisons. But we know how that goes. You know, they'll probably keep the old ones open and just increase prison populations at these three new for some reason or another. So this is the power that people do have. And these banks are now we're down to four. So this year, we're the four that remain is Citizens. And that's not Citizens Trust Bank, uh, Pinnacle Bank. First Tennessee mm -hmm. Bank and Synovus Bank. So those are the four funders. So the other banks, even though they've exited the industry, they obviously still have, you know, right. the loans. They need to collect. Still got loans. They still got these collect. outstanding loans. But what that means, they're not going to renew the loans and they're not going to extend any new credit. But these are the four banks that are not saying anything yet. So the call to action, which I probably and Carol's probably made it pretty clear. One of the things, if you bank with one of these institutions, maybe you should reconsider moving your money because we know when we put money on deposit with the bank, they can do whatever they want to do with it while it's sitting there. So your money can be used for these types of causes. If you work for one of these institutions, request with the powers that be, you know, divestment or disinvestment. And then the last thing is just even if you don't bank with or work for one of these financial institutions, write letters or email banks and ask for them to divest in the private prison industry. So that's the call to action for this week. We talked about last week, checking your 401ks, uh, writing letters to the holders of either Vanguard, Fidelity, or the others, BlackRock we mentioned. But this week, it's more about looking at those four remaining banks 
and doing something to just get in their ear to let them know this isn't cool and think about it you know banks do give out a lot of money in the community for social causes they give a lot of money to nonprofits and you know for affordable housing and and small business development but for every dollar we're giving there if we're investing in private prisons it's it could be it could be a wash you know i don't know how good that that money is if on the back end these kinds of things are happening so i just think it's it's important that you know your voice is heard at your bank if if you bank with one of them and that it you really are, are vocal and you're present no it absolutely is important and, and i just wanted to pull up this article to show people you know we do hold power as people this is uh from back in february private prison companies face stock crash credit crunch uh once darlings of wall street right so the, the tides are changing i'm telling y'all core civic and geo group the nation's two biggest publicly traded private prison companies have suffered a precipitous drop in stock prices following a pressure campaign by foes of mass incarceration that has resulted in divestment of their stock by major investment funds and loss of credit at most american banks combined the companies incarcerate 10 percent of u.s prisoners and 80 percent of its immigrant detainees at the close of trading the first week of 2021, both firms were significantly off their 52-week highs achieved the previous winter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I just want to read these numbers. While the broader market had largely recovered, shares of Florida-based GL Group, the larger pair of the of the pair with nearly $2.5 billion in 2019 revenues, had lost over half their value, tumbling 53% to close at A68. Tennessee-based Core Civic, which recorded just under $2 billion in 2019 revenues, has seen its stock uh, price fall even further, 63%, to close at 669 So what I'm telling you is economic protests, economic withdrawal, these things are effective means at affecting yes. the pockets of these companies yeah so that's why we're going to continue to educate and make aware of our community so we can be consciously aware of these companies and make some noise let's protest let's boycott let's withdraw our support and we will get changed it's directly because there are private groups that have said we're enough is enough we're going to protest we're going to apply pressure to Chase Bank. We're going to apply pressure to Wells Fargo. We're going to apply pressure to Core Civic, GEO. And what that does is when the people speak against private corporations, the government then moves to get on the good side of the people because they know they have to get make sure they have the people in control, meaning the people still believing that they're on their side so that they can continue to vote the way that they want you to vote. So they continue to sway you with their propaganda, the way they're able to sway you. And that's all based on a, a weird mixture of trust and fear. So when the people speak against private corporations, because this is a capitalistic society, et cetera, supply and demand, whatever, however you want to label it, if 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 you are vilified in the court of public opinion, you're done. Whether that be a, a public figure being able to monetize off of his following, whether that be a company able to move like Core Civic and do what they're doing, getting financing from the banks, for a long time they've been able to operate with impunity. I guarantee you, things such as this so-called executive order on reforming our incarceration system to eliminate the use of privately operated criminal detention facilities is a direct result of 
individuals like you and I raising noise, making aware this particular glaring theme. And so now Core Civic and GEO group and, and individuals like them have to be the scapegoat. Right. They run it up. The government turned a blind eye to this for decades. Right. But now, oh, now that it's now we it's have sexy to, now. It's sexy now. It's sexy now. Right. Right. So make sure you guys remember this. Remember that if that's the case, then you have the power. If we make the noise, if we apply the pressure, then they move. But if there is no organization, if there is no solidarity, if there is no pressure applied, the bleeding will never stop. Pressure is the key. Pressure is the key. We talked about that last week. And, and one other consequence that investors probably didn't even realize was going to happen with both of these companies is CoreCivic was demoted in August 2020 from an S&P mid cap 400 to an S&P small cap 600, which means that they just have less flexibility with the way that they operate. The way that they have to pay their investors means they have less money, meaning they need more loans, which it's tighter on loans. So they, you know, that may be one other consequence from from everything that has happened and what it caused them to have to do is change from what they were a real estate investment trust or a REIT to a C-Corp and when they do that they had to re they were required to pay out most of their profits as dividends and that means that they had again less cash on hand meaning they have to borrow more and less banks you got four that are left you know that's less loans for them um, one last thing with Geo Group you know, they're not faring much better. Um, they didn't have to change his corporate status, but it's trying to preserve his cash by not giving out as many dividends. But they're going to face some trouble right now. They're facing a, an investor lawsuit over its inadequate response to the pandemic. So if they if they lose this lawsuit, I mean, they could be out of the little fluid cash that they do have. So those are the types of other side effects, I guess, the consequences that happen when there's pressure applied to companies like this. So I can't stress it enough. You know, you've got to speak up. You've got to stand up for what you believe in. Um, you've got to talk to the organizations that are making this possible. Tell them where you want the money to be invested. You know, what makes more sense for our community? So be the voice, be strong, be heard. And sometimes you do have to stand out on a limb. Sometimes we feel like we're on an island by ourselves. And it may not be the popular thing that's being said, especially when you work for a company that you feel is not doing the right thing. But if you don't do it, who will? So mm, apply pressure. Apply if you pressure. you don't do it, who will? If Sometimes you, you got to be the bad guy. If you don't do it, who will? Point blank, period. If you don't do it, who will? So anyway, I... Man, with this show, this we we weave, we 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 freestyle. I feel like, but it came out, it came out really powerful, to be honest. So, you know, you have your call to action, y'all. You know the banks, you know what's going on, and don't just take our word for it. Take the stuff that we're, we're that you're hearing from us. Go research it for yourselves. Please feel free to reach out to us. You can give us an email, theblackoutcoalition at gmail .com. And if you have any topics, if you have any information, if you uncover some stuff that may not be known, there's a lot of data. It's hard every week even deciding oh which way we're going to go. But we want y'all to know that the more conscious we become, the more responsible that we are for doing something about it. So that's what the Blackout Show is here for. 
to continue to let y'all know, you know, uh, don't forget support Project Restart. Tiffany is out there in Atlanta, really helping people who are, you know, experiencing this, this, this from the inside, right? This prison industry and this exploitation, and they're needing assistance when they get out to really turn their lives around. Uh, she's there. Her nonprofit is there. So definitely, what's the website they can visit? Yes, go to projectrestartatl.org. Uh, you can find out more about the program. We're going to be starting again August 10th in the Atlanta market. Um, it's going to be 12 weeks of programming that's getting men and women who have been justice impacted or formerly incarcerated, giving them a second chance to put their skills to work, be able to become entrepreneurs or get into a training program or a trade program um, or just straight employment that's livable wage employment. In addition, they're getting a micro grant to be able to really be that seed money to help them to succeed. So uh, yeah, so projectrestartatl.org. You can definitely donate. We're still in fundraising mode because it does cost money to run these programs, but um, we'd love to hear from y'all too. You know, just go ahead and throw you know, a comment in the contact form and, and I'll definitely be sure to follow up with you. Amen. So uh, with that being said, this was episode two of the Blackout Show and we're out. I can breathe. 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 All the witnesses be like, he had his hands right here, even with the video evidence. All clear, 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 clear. Added up, that's hard times for a black man. Black man. Black man. Black man.